So we're in 1 Thessalonians, a new section. Paul is dealing with the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ, not because he wanted to be controversial, but because the confusion regarding this truth was causing all sorts of problems in this young church. This is the first letter, probably, that Paul wrote. So you have here, in embryo, what he later teaches in uh, greater uh, detail. So verse 13, we're going to look at verse 15 and verse 16 tonight, but we looked at verses 13 and 14 last Sunday. So let's read verse 13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we'll stop there. The main problem at Thessalonica was that these believers were expecting Jesus to return in their lifetime. And they were anxious about those believers that had already died, that they would miss out somehow on this event. But as we saw last time, Paul is saying, we grieve as Christians, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And those that have preceded us, we don't need to worry about them. If they've fallen asleep in Christ, they will be raised first. And this is where we ended last time. When Jesus comes again, it will be a retinue, as Wesley said, a train. And it will be the saints marching in. All those that have died in Christ. What a procession that will be. And if we are still alive when he comes again, we will then be joining him and them in the air. Now, what we want to do this evening, we're not going to finish it tonight, is look at this momentous event in a little more detail. I think there's a book with that title on the second coming, That Momentous Events. And we're just going to look at the different aspects of the events. I think we'll only have time to deal with two of them tonight. They're all starting with the letter R, so I trust that will help you remember. The first is return. Jesus Christ is going to return. Maybe this is a good time of year to be looking at the second coming, because at Christmas we remembered the first advent, the first coming of Jesus as the Saviour. But he is returning the second advent as not saviour, but judge. 
in between the first and the second advents is what we call the last days. So we've been in the last days for the last 2,000 odd years. And during these last days, there are other advents of Jesus Christ by his spirits. We call those visitations. And if they're on a big scale, revival. So we're all about Jesus coming, whether physically or by his spirits. But the second advent is going to be the most climactic events of all. If you're looking forward for a revival, I don't know whether we'll have another revival here in Wales in our lifetime. I'm not a prophet. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God suddenly poured his spirits upon the church? That would be a momentous event. And with social media today, that, that would go viral. But it'd be nothing compared to the second coming. Why, or oh why, haven't we emphasized the second coming of Jesus Christ as evangelical Christians? In this area, we are probably most unlike the early church. We agree, don't we, on all the cardinal, central truths. But when it comes to the second coming, we are way behind. When did you last hear a sermon on the second coming? I'm speaking for myself as a preacher. When did I last preach on it? We're afraid, aren't we, to look at the second coming because it's become a controversy we know that a number of evangelicals particularly in north america have gone to extremes regarding the second coming and they've got excited about the timings and about whether one is pre-millennial or a millennial or post-millennial and then you've got people who go uh, into further uh, complexities and talk about the rapture. We will get to the rapture, don't worry. But they talk about the rapture. And then within that, there are so many different groups that by that stage, I've given up. And so because it's become such a matter of controversy, we've stayed away from it. But we're missing out. Brothers and sisters, we're missing out on the most momentous event that is found in the Bible after the first advent of Jesus Christ. Actually, there are only two things we can be certain of in the future. I'm not mentioning taxes. Death and Jesus' second coming. You can't be certain of anything else. We don't know what's going to happen to the planet. We don't know what's going to happen economically. We don't know what's going to happen in terms of the war in Ukraine. And yet the church seems to be talking about all of those things. And what about the second coming? We can be absolutely certain that Jesus is going to come back and we're silent. These things ought not to be so. And when you look at the church in Thessalonica, these believers were getting into trouble about the second coming because they were so looking forward to it. 
and some of these people who go to extremes in terms of the second coming, their hearts can't be faulted. They really want Jesus to come back. Is the center of gravity of your Christianity in the world to come? Or is it in this life? If in this life we only have hope, then we are the most miserable of all people. The anchor that grounds our souls is not in this life, is it? Otherwise we're going to be unstable. We don't know how this life is going to turn out in 2023. But our anchor is not in this world. It's beyond the veil. It's grounded in eternity. And so the second coming should be at the center of our Christian life. Let's not look at it as a matter of controversy, but let's look at it as something to nurture us, uh, to give us hope. Uh, listen to Paul writing to Titus. He talked about the second coming as our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of a caretaker in the school where I used to teach. He was a black belt in karate before he was converted, and he had a hard time. He had a hard time in his family because they weren't believers. And sometimes we'd catch up over lunchtime to have some fellowship, and he would be telling me how difficult it was as a Christian. And then his eyes would twinkle and he would say to me, but you know what? He's coming back. And it sustained him. The thoughts that Jesus Christ was coming back enabled this ordinary believer to carry on, to keep on keeping on. Let's look at what Paul says here. Verse 16, if you've got a Bible. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Let me read what Phillips says in his paraphrase. I think he gets the meaning better. One word of command, one shout from the archangel, one blast from the trumpets, and the Lord himself will come down from heaven. The blast of the trumpets is significant because in the Roman world, when Caesar was visiting an area, there would be a trumpet blast to herald the fact that an important visitor was about to arrive. Well, here is a greater than Caesar. That momentous event. What's the most momentous event you've had? I'm not thinking now of becoming a Christian. That should be the most momentous event. But just in terms of an illustration from your ordinary life, have you ever seen somebody important? I remember once when I was a student in London, I would sometimes, during my day off, wander down uh, Whitehall and just stand outside Downing Street to see if I could ever get a glimpse uh, uh, to uh, an important visitor. It was Yasser Arafat I managed to see. That, that's the closest I've come to, to seeing an important visitor. And I happened once to be standing on the Mall. Uh, I was going to a meeting in Westminster Chapel and I had time to spare and I saw a crowd of people standing on the edge of the mall and it was the trooping of the colour. So I did see our late queen, but from a distance. But what's that in comparison to this visitor? 
Remember the chaos that ensued when they had the G8 summit in the Celtic manor a few years ago? What's that in comparison to the coming of the King of Kings? COVID and lockdown, that's been quite a momentous uh, few years, has it not? Who would have imagined at the start of 2020 that we would have had such an interruption? That will be a blip in comparison to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Can you see what the word is declaring here? This is the one event that history is moving towards. This is going to be when Jesus Christ will bring the curtain down on this world. This will be the moment when time itself will end. There's nothing more important than that. Why are we not living in the light of that climactic events let's not be afraid of talking about it because it's a controversial matter let us seek to encourage one another this will be a royal visit unlike any other Uh, Tozer's got a brilliant quotation Uh, he puts it like this the longing to see Christ that burned in the hearts of those first Christians seems to have burnt itself out All we have left are the ashes. And we're sometimes arguing over the ashes, aren't we? He's coming. He's coming. Aren't we too grounded in this world? The streets of gold have less attraction to people who are spending their lifetime acquiring silver and gold. In this world, but once God takes away those props, once we go through a period of suffering, think of the persecution that these believers would be facing and others, doesn't that cause us to look up? I fear a time of ease for the church more than opposition, don't you? The first time I went to Moldova, the sisters there were telling us how they are cold spiritually towards the savior they didn't seem cold to me but they were saying we are cold when we were under the communists and we were being persecuted oh then we were on fire don't you want to rekindle that flame of longing don't we sometimes think of the gospel just in terms of what jesus christ does for me rather than think of who he is it's not just insurance value when i die that i have a place reserved for me in heaven but the fact that i shall be with him don't you long to see him again isn't that tied with our longing for a visitation by the spirits If we are really longing for a revival, we are also going to be longing for the second coming of Jesus Christ. They are in one sense the same thing, but the second coming is even better. We've got a lovely word in Welsh for longing. Do you know what it is? Hiraith. It's homesickness. Do you ever get hiraith? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he was minister in Westminster Chapel, living in London, as a Welshman, he sometimes had hiraith for the land of Wales. 
We sometimes think of Wales or those of us who are Welsh as the promised land, don't we? Do you have Hiraith? I don't belong here. My home is in heaven. And there, my Savior is going to come one day. So this, this is the first aspect of the second coming that we're just noting from these verses. The return, the return of the King. The trumpet of God, the trump of the Lord. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm not interested in the details. I don't know whether he's going to enter uh, the city of Jerusalem through a certain gate. I can't get worked up about that. It doesn't matter where he's going to come. The most important thing is that he is going to come. Isn't that right? The return. The return. Uh, somebody compares the blast of the trumpet here using a different illustration to the cockerel. Are you up that early? I'm not, but... The, the, the crow of the cockerel, is that what they do? At the break of dawn, heralding a new day, a new day. The blast of the trumpets were heralded a new beginning. Uh, all the prophecies, all the uh, ceremonies in the Old Testament, the jubilee, the sabbatical, the Sabbath year. Having a sabbatical is based on the Old Testament. But it'll be one sabbatical forever and ever. So the return. I just want us as a congregation to be a people who long for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Who long for it even more than we may long for a spiritual visitation then the second thing second hour resurrection resurrection let's look at verse 16 for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with a trumpet of god and the dead in christ will rise first so i don't know what the timing is in these things it doesn't matter really because time is going to come to an end right our little minds can't get around these things. I couldn't get around the reading in 1 Corinthians 15. So when he returns, there will be a resurrection of those who have already died. Uh, the trumpet and the voice. I think the shout is the voice of Jesus Christ. And when he raised, do you remember when he raised Lazarus from the dead? He had to say, Lazarus, come forth. If he hadn't specified Lazarus, what would have happened? All the dead would have come, wouldn't they? But this time, he's not going to specify anybody. With a shout, the graves are going to open and all are going to be risen. Both believers and unbelievers. Let me just read John 5. Uh, these are important words. An hour is coming. This is what Jesus says. When all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of 
judgments. Now, that's an awesome thought, isn't it? C.S. Lewis put it like this. These words I find quite profound. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal, but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Either there are immortal horrors or everlasting blessedness ahead of people. Do you believe that? That's what drove a young man called William Carey to leave the comforts of life in this country. And he was a geography teacher. And he would be teaching geography to the kids and showing them countries like India on the globe. And as he would be talking about those in spiritual darkness in India, he would break down because he realized that they weren't just people. They had immortal souls that one day they would be raised to spiritual death if they didn't have a saviour, and that drove him to go all the way to India and to become a missionary there. As the hymnist puts it, there is an hour when I must gaze on one eternity, and nameless woe or blissful life my endless portion be. But we're interested this evening in the hope of those who are in Christ being raised That's going to be you and me unless we're here when Jesus comes. Let's open this up a bit. What is the ultimate hope of a Christian? We tend to say it's going to heaven, don't we? Now that's good, isn't it? I'm tempted to say that's good enough for me. (laughs) To hear Jesus say, today you will be with me in paradise. The moment a person dies, their body goes asleep. That's the metaphor that the Bible uses. The body goes to the grave. Whether it's cremated or whether it's buried, it doesn't matter. The body is destroyed. But the soul instantaneously goes to be with Jesus, which is far better. But listen, my friends, that's not the ultimate hope. That's an intermediate state. The ultimate hope, listen to Paul in Romans 8, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed, the redemption of our bodies. Do you get that? So like the caretaker I was talking about who was having a hard time, he sustained himself in his sufferings by looking at the future hope, the return of Christ, yes, but there's going to be a resurrection We call that the redemption of the body. God isn't just interested in our souls. The soul is the most important part of us because it's going to live forever. And our souls are saved the moment we believe in Jesus Christ. And our souls are purified by the Holy Spirit in this life. And the moment our souls leave our bodies, they are completely pure and they go to be with Christ in heaven. But God isn't finished with us yet. God isn't finished with this world yet. Because God has created us, not just spirits, but body and soul. And one day God isn't just going to give a perfect soul, but he's going to join that perfect soul to a perfect body. And so those who have gone ahead of us to glory, they are now with Christ in their souls. But one day they will have a perfect body. And one day you will have a perfect body. 
And I want to say that's an awesome thing. Let's think for a moment about these bodies. That's why I read that difficult chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection body is not going to be like Lazarus's body. Remember Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead? Lazarus had his old body back. So whatever ailments Lazarus had, <laughs> he had to suffer with them for the rest of his life. So eventually Lazarus died. This is not going to be like that. We are going to have a resurrected body. The reading in 1 Corinthians 15 called it a heavenly, spiritual body. Not a terrestrial, not an earthly body, but a heavenly body. Now then, this, this is quite profound, so I'll use an illustration. Resurrection is not reconstruction. Some Christians get into... <coughs> Uh, difficult position here. They are against cremation because they think, how is that body going to be raised if it's cremated? Well, hang on, you've got the same problem if the body is buried. <laughs> because when the body is buried, it's eventually food for worms, isn't it? <coughs> Resurrection is not reconstruction. It's the same person, but a new body. Let, let, let me use the illustration Paul used in 1 Corinthians 15. The seed is the old body. What happens to the seed? The seed is buried in the ground. That's death. What comes from that seed? It's not reconstruction. It's a beautiful flower. Can you see the difference? Uh, to, to use something from organic uh, life more than a plant, a caterpillar. They're not very pretty, are they? <laughs> Who would have thought that a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. So that, that, that's a very faint illustration of the contrast between our present bodies, these sinful bodies. Uh, one uh, commentator called them a clod of clay. Don't you feel as you're getting older that your body's a clod of clay? It's heavy. It's getting me down. It's dragging me down. I want to soar in my spirits. Or if uh, you, like me, used to go jogging a lot, you think you can still go jogging, but then you've got this clod of clay. Well, one day, we will have new bodies. I know some of you here are struggling with sciatica. Isn't that a terrible pain? Others have got arthritis. Your joints are swollen. Others have got the sorrows of the mind that is horrible the brain the mind can get ill as well as the rest of the body others may have chronic conditions others will just have old age old age doesn't come alone does it you just don't have the same energy you're the same person inside but you just don't have the same energy that's the body listen one day you will have a body that won't have any arthritic pain. It won't have any disease. It won't have any decay. It won't have any depression. Don't you look forward to that? It'll be a perfect body. It'll, it, it'll be geared for immortality. 
If you want an example of a resurrected body, it's the body that Jesus had when he rose from the grave. So Jesus was the first fruit. Jesus was the prototype. So we are going to follow Jesus. So his body, it was a real body, wasn't it? He wasn't a ghost. Uh, his body could eat. People could touch him. But his body could do more than that. Now, we've got to be careful here. But I am deducing a right from Scripture. Our resurrection bodies will be able to go through doors. Now, I don't know... How, well, it must serve a purpose. We'll be able to go through doors. Locked doors won't be a problem again. We don't have to worry about the keys when we're waiting for church council. We won't have committee meetings. Our resurrected bodies will be able to transport themselves. I'm being serious here now. When Jesus rose from the dead... Where was he between that resurrection morning and the day a few weeks after that he ascended? Where was he? Graham Harrison in Bible College told us he probably could transport himself. He could go to heaven. He could transport himself on earth. Think of the spirit suddenly taking Philip to talk to the Ethiopian eunuch. These bodies will shine. They will shine with the glory of God. We will be like angels. We will be higher than the angels. John Owen put it like this. A blessed instrument for the soul's highest and most spiritual activities. We are going to be prepared for the most awesome of activities of worship in heaven and we'll need new bodies for that won't we um have you heard the riddle of the sphinx i i i, I was tickled by this what goes on all fours in the morning on two legs in the afternoon and on three in the evening man a baby crawling middle age you can walk on two legs and then you get to a certain age you need a third leg you need a stick our resurrected bodies won't need a stick our resurrected bodies will fly isn't that an encouragement i must come to a conclusion that not only will we have perfect souls and we will be with jesus home home sweet home but we will have perfect resurrected bodies we will be as we were meant to be but lord it is for thee for thy coming we wait are we are we excited the sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. We've got a hope to sustain us, whatever may be happening to us. And when we have to 
leave this world behind. I'm taking it that we will probably die before Jesus returns when we will have to take to our deathbeds and leave these bodies behind. We will one day have an absolutely glorious, perfect body for his namesake. Let us sing now that hymn, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And that's only half the truth, I think. Can't we say eventually it is well with my body? It is well with my body. Uh, when peace like a river, 766.
thank thee that death isn't the last word and sin isn't the last word. Uh, Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. And we just praise thee for that sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be like unto his glorious body. We can't take that in, Father, that one day we will have a body designed not just for life, but for everlasting life. Lord, forgive us for our lack of longing, for our mediocrity, and just give us a longing for thy coming. And may that grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.